Hello, everyone, and welcome to Searching the Sacred. Jason, Steph, and Lisa with you, as always. Um, and we are finishing up our Advent series where we have been looking at the different names that this baby born to Mary and Joseph has been uh, given, has been called upon to be named, or it's been proclaimed that he will be called in the future. And we are wrapping up by looking at the continuation of the story in Luke chapter 2, and the angel is going to appear to the shepherds and is going to talk to them. And I'm just going to leave it there and let Lisa take over. Okay. This is uh, Luke 2. I'm going to read verses 8 to 14, and we are in the NRSV. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. I have like two simultaneous memories, or like I have a, a different sort of nostalgic response to that passage. I'm curious. I kind of want to give everybody space to have that nostalgic response. So one is um, Linus from uh, Charlie Brown going out and reciting this from the King James Version in his sweet little Linus voice in Charlie Brown Christmas. The other is that I came from a tradition where um, the Christmas Eve service was really like done by the children of the congregation and Sunday school classes had different roles to play. And um, depending on your age, part of what we did is we had to um, recite different parts of the Luke 2 narrative. And so I also think about like standing in front of church and reciting this passage without any recognition of what I was saying, but I was like working through the words that I had memorized. Um, and most of the time I can, I can get through the entire chapter of Luke two based on that, that history of like, I've memorized different parts at different times when I was a kid in a way that it's sort of like song lyrics in my head um, that I didn't know were still there, but they're still there. And I, I, I don't know, I'm curious about kind of how that for myself or whatever yours is, I'm curious what kind of memories come up for you affects how we hear a passage, like when it's so familiar or nostalgic or sometimes triggering even, like if we've had negative Christmas memories, this one feels a little different than the other passages we've looked at in terms of that nostalgia piece. Well, um, do you guys have nostalgia with I, it? <laughs> well, no, I very similar nostalgia. Um, it also makes me think about how many I, uh, in my adulthood, I don't think I've seen children run the Christmas mm. service. Like that's a memory from childhood. And I actually was mm. just thinking, I'm like, well, well, how lovely would that be to not have a pastor that's like stressing about the message and trying to do something creative with a, like there, like there feels like this, such an extra effort. <laughs> Especially from the, like from the places I spent a lot of time 
it's like this hail Mary. Cause everybody's in the building. Let's make this a huge evangelical, like <laughs> let's sweep them in. And I thought, and I was just thinking like how lovely it would be to just have the story told by sweet little voices. <laughs> I need to go find a podunk church that says this. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, think, I was thinking those things, but I also, um, one of the, um, well, it would have probably been, I don't know, six years ago. I remember wrestling through some of this. Um, some I, I don't know why I had this wrestle. I wrestle a lot with the gendering in the Bible, whatever. But I remember thinking about like, could there be space for it to be female shepherds? Could it be shepherd, like shepherdesses? Because the plural is always going to show masculine, but it can encompass female as well. And so I was just, as I was reading it, I was just, like, I think the imagery now is just really strong in my head that it's both male and female. Like there's, there's this multiplicity of gender, both in the hosts and in the shepherds that I kind of like that just, so often the story becomes um, gendered swayed to one way or the other, depending on where we're reading it. And this little moment feels like it has a moment where it's like all the people and all the things that are happening at once is like for everyone. I can picture everybody in all the spaces. And so I was just delighting in my head that that's the imagery <laughs> um, on top of the nostalgia of Linus and little kids. I really like that, Lisa. I like that you brought us to like how you're reinterpreting or re-understanding this moment, and not just leaving it nostalgic. Because I think that is kind of the temptation for so many people with a passage like this that we read so familiarly and so consistently, and then sing so many songs. Like I, I had songs coming into mind as it, as it was being read because there's certain little phrases that we just have in all of our Christmas, you know, carols and hymns and and whatever else, and and so. I was it and it, and because of that it's hard for it not to just stay like that and and there's a beauty to that right like with the kids and like the the play and just like everyone getting dressed up and you got the little camel over here and the little sheep over there and you got the little you know the wise people who are supposed to come years later but come now and like so you just have like this really beautiful you know children's interpretation of it um which which is which is meaningful and and is a nice um, interpretation of it. But I like that you're saying, okay, well, like, what if I really stop and think about this? And, and I think um, on a po- different podcast, not ours, but on a different podcast that I've listened to, I, I kind of listen to a few podcasts every Christmas. Um, Alexander Shia talks about like, what would a shepherd have been in that culture? And I think the idea of the shepherds being these people that have done something in their society to have to go spend time with sheep because sheep are going to make them smelly and they're going to make them um, kind of inappropriate for the rest of civil society. And so they're, they're relegated to be out there all night with the sheep. And so they've usually done some crime or they've done something that's caused them to like get this kind of awful job in the community. And, and yet this is where the angel shows up. This is who it's announced to. And we always see it as like, isn't it noble to be a shepherd? And isn't it like so great that the angel showed up to the shepherds and you know, David was a shepherd and all this. And it's like, well, actually it's, it's maybe even more similar to the angel showing up to like, I don't know, the prison and saying for unto you was born this day, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Like maybe that's a little bit closer to what's happening here. 
Um, it's not the same, but it's maybe closer. And I, to me, like I've tried to like reconfigure why this moment is revolutionary as opposed to just cute, even though I like that it's cute as well, <laughs> if, if that's okay. Like I like that it's both cute and I like that this, this moment could actually be theologically um, incredibly powerful and meaningful for what our faith actually is. I'm going to, um, not to ruin your Christmas, Jason, but I'm going to push back on Alexander Shia. That's fine. Um, because I think it actually is the message that a lot of us have heard is like, oh, how crazy that they showed up to shepherds because shepherds were outcasts. But even inside the Bible itself, shepherds have never been outcasts. David is a shepherd. Moses is a shepherd. God is talked about as being the good shepherd in Psalm 23. Shepherds are required to raise the sheep that are a part of the Levitical system of sacrifice. Um, so I would wonder if it's more helpful to us or just a different perspective to list them as ordinary people. So not particular, it's not a particularly elevated position, like it's not a king or a ruler who has power. It's not somebody who's going to have a lot of money, um, but it's somebody who's got a job to do that's an important job for society, that's that's decently well-respected, but not like at the highest levels, um, and whether that helps us connect with the shepherds ourselves and to say, we are the kind of people who might have been out in that field, just like we're the kind of people who would be out in the boat fishing when Jesus is an adult and calls the fishermen. Like there's this ordinary job kind of realm to the shepherds. And does that affect how we see the story? And they also would have been stinky, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't have been respected just because they would have been smelly. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think you're bringing a very helpful nuance to it. And I guess I'm asking myself the question, do we want to go down this path or not? But we don't need to. I'm well, wondering I, if I, I'm, I, 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 what I think the reason I'm wanting to go down to the path is because I've just heard a lot of sermons about how this shows how important Jesus was because Jesus was showing up to those lowly, terrible, stinky, awful shepherds. And like, why does that feel like it has to be the part of the narrative? Like, why do we feel like we have to tell the narrative that way when nothing in the text tells us that these shepherds are lowly or bad? It just says they're shepherds, just like the Bible has been talking about shepherds the entire story. And so how has making them negative, why is that such an elevated thing in the way we tell the narrative as compared to making them important? Like shepherds of the sacrificial system would be important um, and ordinary, but important. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I want to wrestle with that a little bit. I think it does affect how we hear this. But I think that's the wrestle in almost all of the passages for the birth story in Luke. Like we wrestle with Mary being really special and like, nope, teenage girl, unwed mother. Like we, there's actually like this multiplicity in potential i think in any of the characters <laughs> like any one of them can be normal and any one of them could be placed in a position of uh, not having power and being outside of the structures that are in systems that are at play and i think that's actually um there's a way that it's hopeful because that's if if jesus shows up for them people <laughs> 
<laughs> Jesus shows up for me. I don't know if that's great theology, but I think that that's partly what's happened. Like we make Jesus into this like uber um I don't know. It's like, and I don't know that it's wrong. I, it's just, it's interesting to think about if we think it's like, we like that Jesus does all this shit, but we sure don't believe that that's how we should be doing stuff. Like we want Jesus to be the person who does that stuff. Like we really want Jesus to do that, but we don't want to do that same thing. So it's a very interesting, like thing that we kind of hold on to and want to be true in there. But if it is true, then we actually have probably some questions to ask ourselves about what we're doing in the world. Hmm. Yes. And amen. Like I couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> like, yeah, I think this should, it should incite us to ask questions of ourselves about who's welcome at our table and who, who are we speaking hope to? Um, because yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we take the nudge here <laughs> very often. You know, I think we keep it in the realm of cute as opposed to the realm of, um, you know, something more revolutionary or uh, paradoxical. Well, and I think what's interesting, too, is I think to Steph's point that the the ordinary. I can picture myself in the shepherd position, like I can picture like the, that's a character I can enter in pretty easily. I have a hard time entering into. Like Mary and Elizabeth. Because for lots of reasons, like I really like them, I can I can force myself in and pretend I know, but I don't I don't know necessarily. <laughs> and I think with the shepherds, as long as I uh, have increased everybody's gender, <laughs> I can see like, oh, what would that be like to be just doing your do just doing your job, minding your business, <laughs> like everything's normal, and then it's not. <laughs> It rapidly and powerfully and in a way that changes everything for you after that. Like you can't, I don't know that you can walk away from that one and just be like, meh, Angel showed up. <laughs> like, <laughs> just doesn't seem like that's what's on the table for people. Yeah, I have so many, like, my mind is going in so many different directions. Um, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if like the angel showed up to the people that would listen, um, you know, like you said, maybe if angels show up, you just listen no matter what, cause it's angels showing up. And so you don't have no, you just can't help it. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes we, if it doesn't help us, we, we tend to like shove off whatever comes our way if it's not a benefit to us. Um, you know, and so, I mean, a lot of people had access to the star, apparently, right? If there is, like, in, if we go to the Matthew side of things and there's this star that is, you know, over the, the birthplace or over where the, the child is and these foreigners are going to see it and understand it and move towards it. Like, you know, there's a whole, we're not going, I don't, we don't need to go into this one. But I just think there's something being said in these narratives about those on either either ordinary or the fringes of the society picking up on what's happening and, and it being good news to them. Um, and I think, I think that's one of the, you know, especially when you contrast it with in the first century, the expectation of who the Messiah, the Christ was supposed to be, was supposed to be a Davidic Messiah born in this fantastical way that would usher in a new era of, you know, land 
ownership and, and, and dominance and would push back against Rome, both religiously and spiritually and, and physically. And yet here's the Christ child born in a manger going to shepherds and having foreigners show up at, at their home. And I mean, it's the opposite, you know, like I used to do this really, you know, speaking of the cute thing, I used to do this thing with my students where I would say, okay, if you were to have a baby and you were to want this baby to be the next like president of the United States, but like, who would you want to come to, you know, meet the baby for the first time? And of course, everybody starts listing their favorite rapper, their favorite pop star, their favorite movie star. And they like have this whole list of like, I would want this person to come meet my baby. And okay, okay, who would you not want to have come meet your baby? Right. And they're just listing off, you know, people in the news that are terrible or they're, you know, they're. I don't know, somebody in their family that's awful. And like, I'm like, okay, but what if that's who like came? Like, what if that was like the big announcement was that you're like this, your child's good news for them, you know? And it's kind of like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> like I didn't never think of it that way. I mean, I, I think maybe, maybe part of why I think about why I think this is an important conversation with the shepherds is because it challenges us to say, are we paying attention? So the shepherds, I think it's in part because as a what we see even in the trajectory of scripture is that Moses is a shepherd with his sheep in the wilderness. Shepherds just have a lot of time alone, a lot of time paying attention to their surroundings. And so he sees a burning bush that is on fire but not consumed, and he pauses long enough to move towards it. And once he moves towards it, that's when God speaks to him. But he moves towards it first. And there's a way as a shepherd, he's positioned to be listening and paying attention. And I think we see the same thing with David as a shepherd where like he writes these Psalms potentially as he is a shepherd because he has all this time and he's paying attention and that the shepherds in the field that night are poised to be paying attention in a way that people in the palaces are not. And, and how can we be people who pay attention, who listen for the message, who say, where is God speaking? And what is it to take this moment, as Lisa named, and drop what I'm doing and respond to where God is? Because they're willing to do that. They're willing to go in response to the angel. And what is it about them that causes that listening, that willingness? And how is that a model for us to say, this is the best point for us to enter into the story? as observers and say, okay, would we notice if this happened? Would we be willing to drop what we're doing? Um, and I want to sort of just frame this in the series of what we're doing in the Advent podcast. We've been talking about what this baby is called. So, um, and it's been different audiences. So the first thing we looked at was that you shall name him Jesus and that both Mary and Joseph are given that message. You should name him Jesus, Yeshua. And in both cases, I mean, this is sort of what Lisa said, like we are not Mary and we are not Joseph. That's a message given to them about the unique role that they have in naming this child who is going to be born into their family. And what is that name and why is that told to them? And then in Matthew, it was the he shall be called Emmanuel, quoting from Isaiah. So we talked about that. There's something about this human that will have people call him Emmanuel. And then to Mary, in our last episode, we talked about, and he shall be called son of the most high. So same thing, like something people will call this child that name as this child grows. Here, the angels have something different to say. The angel says to these shepherds who are paying attention, he is Christ the Lord. So it's not something to name him. It's not something to call him. It's something that he is. 
And why is this the audience for that name and identity to be known and to just be said so confidently of not, don't call, it's not that you need to call him this or name him this or spread the word that he is this. I'm just telling you, this is who this baby is. I don't really know where my question is in that. That felt like a speech. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> no, it was really helpful because that differentiation between um, he will be called um, or in a way, in a way like that he will be called is almost like a way of saying people are going to see him this way or this is who he's going to grow into. Like this is who he's going to become, right? It's like a future thing that it, it's all, you know, like we made this dumb comparison last time of like, it'd be like, you know, telling LeBron James's mom, like, Hey, he's going to be called King James and be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Like right now he's three months old, right? Like, um, it's, it's like a future thing of like, this is how he, you know, so, so hold this or, or take up this responsibility with care. Whereas like, this is not saying like, this is the future for your child. Like, this is saying, and it's not even said to the parents, right? So it's it's a whole different group of people, and it's and it's not a future name. It's not a this is what he will grow into, or the people will eventually want to call him. This is like this is already who this child is, um, which is which is probably to me theologically, this becomes incredibly important. Because a lot of people could eventually become or get called something that isn't even accurate. Whereas the angels naming that this is already in existence says something even, I think, more powerful or more impactful about who this child is. That reminds me, Jason, of um, the... Um... A careful reading of Genesis one. So this came Genesis one comes up a lot in Forty Orchards. Um, what? Study. No way! <laughs> Shocker. And um, we start the story at the beginning, actually. <laughs> but but it's easy. Again, that's a familiar passage, so it's easy to just talk about it. And um, we for years, I think, just lazily were saying, um, you know, and God said that it was good at the end of each day. Um. But it was somebody pointed out in a circle a couple of years in, like, no, God sees that it is good. God names for things to come forth, you know, says, let there be light. But then once there is light, God sees that the light is good. And um, and this idea of something inherent um, that is good in creation and that feels like it's an echo of the angels are saying there's something inherent in this child that is Christ the Lord. And there's a seeing that it is that as compared to calling something that, that changes the sense of its truth or the weightiness of it to say, this is Christ. Lisa, you've been stirring on something. Well, I was just thinking about all the words. There's a lot of, it's a lot of words. And then I was thinking about, um, cause like the NRSV translates it Messiah. My, my new King James version is Christ. Like in the translation, the translators are, are moving things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then 
we talk a lot about like that the uh, Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah. And it just got me thinking about like, well, how does the Old Testament talk about a Messiah? Or like, I I was just thinking about the linguistics of things and how, um, like, I don't know that I think about it a lot. I just kind of go, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christ the Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't move beyond it. I just go, okay. And so, like, just sit and linger on the name. And now I'm just kind of thinking all kinds of things of um, mm-hmm. yeah, like what is the angel saying? So we're gonna get into some uh Christology, I guess, here then talk about that. So because I do think I am curious. Sometimes we we talk about the first century like we know things we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about the actual culture of first century Jerusalem and first century Galilee for what the people were or were not waiting for or how they would hold that. In the same way that we can't look at any particular place now and say everybody there is thinking the same way about something. There might be some threads of things, but sometimes we say like everybody was blank in a way that we can't know and is probably not true because there's just lots of microcultures inside of places where some people will be looking towards one thing, some people would be looking for another. And so I think one is to just watch our blanket statements about what we think about what people thought about the Messiah because there's probably a lot of things people thought about the Messiah. And um, so Christos is Greek, uh, Mashiach is Hebrew, and that that is going to come from um, that's going to be what's in the Hebrew scriptures and it's anointed one and anointed one. Um, if we, we can see in a few places that um, it is referred to the Kings are the anointed one. So um, I got to get there. First Samuel 12. Um, two. First Samuel 12, three. <laughs> um Samuel talks about the king in verse two and in verse three says, um, I'm here as a witness um, and talks about the Lord's anointed and is connecting that um, Messiah to the king. Um, So that anointed one is about being a king. There's several places in first Samuel. That's just one that's talking about the king being an anointed one of God. So first Samuel, when it's the Davidic king, when it's Saul, king is an anointed one. Leviticus talks about the high priest being anointed um, and also then having a Mashiach. When we're in Leviticus um, chapter 4, verse 3, um, it will talk about um, the priest that is anointed. Um, verse 5, the priest that is anointed. So we have this idea of the priest being anointed one and the king being anointed one. And the word Messiah is what's used for that. Um, And so we think Messiah, we always think about it like capital M Messiah. Um, And in the Hebrew scriptures, there are several anointed ones, plural. The kings are the anointed ones of God. The high priests are the anointed ones of God. And so there's a biblical tradition of multiple anointed ones that would then be have this word Messiah attached to them. Now, 
Um, I think from what I have in my study tools here, I'm gonna, I'm referring to um, essay an essay on messianic movements that is in the back of the Jewish annotated New Testament. That's always a great resource. So highly recommend that one. What it's talking about is the shift that happens during the Babylonian exile. That that is really when the shift happens from talking about anointed ones plural to anointed one singular, because at that point there is no longer a king. And once there's no longer a king, people start looking for something different because that anointed one doesn't exist anymore. And who is going to be the anointed one that saves? And so there's um, there's a mid-first century BCE book, Psalms of Solomon, that describes this kind of anointed one. So this wouldn't be in our Bible, but this would be then something potentially that people like the shepherds or people in the first century might be familiar with this book because it's it's newer to this time period for the kind of thing they're looking for. So I'm just going to read this. Behold, O Lord, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, at the time which you choose, O God, to rule over Israel, your servant, and gird him with strength to shatter unjust rulers, to purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her down to destruction, in the wisdom of righteousness to thrust out sinners from the inheritance, to crush all their substance with a rod of iron, to destroy the lawless nations with the word of his mouth. And he will gather together a holy people whom he will lead in righteousness. And he will not allow injustice to lodge any more in their midst. And no one knowing evil will dwell with them. Blessed are the ones in those days and that they will see the good things of the Lord, which he will perform for the generation that is to come under the rod of discipline of the Lord's anointed. So now we have a the Lord's anointed language coming into play there in some of those intertestamental works that we don't always have familiarity with. I know I don't. <laughs> um, more clearly than we see a the anointed in the Hebrew scriptures. The book of Daniel has some language about the anointed, but a lot of the history of the Hebrew scriptures is anointed plural versus singular. That was a lot. Just going to pause to let all that sink into a wondering it's like it makes sense that when we're talking of people of significant power like when we're talking about the high priest and the king i mean they're the i the only one above them would be god ideally in this trajectory of story <laughs> like in this people group's story Um, and it feels like, as I've been taught that like Jesus did so much more than either, than a king or a high priest ever could, like the ultimate of the ultimate of all the things. And there's the, always that tension of like Jesus never living like that's who Jesus was. Yeah, there's a real like noticing that one of the trajectories of being anointed is having power. And that this becomes a big question with Jesus' life is how if he is the anointed, how does he hold power? And how is that a witness of how people are supposed to hold power if he's like the archetype of someone who is anointed with power? And we're kind of told that he has power, like he has supernatural powers to us. 
there is a way that Jesus does have all those powers and probably more and doesn't actually use them. Like, doesn't, that's not how Jesus operates. I mean, what if, imagine, imagine somebody having all that power and then, I mean, maybe you use it a little bit here and there. But that's not, you don't claim it. I don't even know what that is. I don't know. I don't know what the right language is. Language is escaping me right now. What are you thinking about, Jason? I'm thinking a lot of things. I think in response to what Lisa just said, I think there's, I actually just did a sermon. So I'm, I'm, today is December 4th when we're recording this. This will come out closer to Christmas Day, um, Christmas Eve, like right around that time. Um, but on December 3rd, I, spoke at church and talked about expectations and how because Jesus was this priestly son of Mary, who's in the priestly line of Aaron, and Joseph is in the line of David, there's a kingly line and a priestly line, and then they get these names attached to it, like Christ, which has kingly and priestly anointedness to it all there's a lot of expectations put on who the christ or who this messiah is going to be and what type of messiah is it going to be and yet jesus seems to subvert all of that and down and and throughout all of it jesus doesn't seem to be meeting their expectations now he maybe meets some of their expectations like healing people and doing some miracles and, and things like that but like in the in the sense that lisa's talking about where jesus is like going to meet their expectation of taking over political power or religious power and like becoming the high priest or becoming the replacement for Caesar or whatever. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Doesn't even attempt any of that. And, and to Lisa's point, he doesn't compromise the integrity of, of what it means to be the anointed one at any point. Even when death is staring him in the face, he's on the cross offering forgiveness. He's offering salvation. Um, and so there's a level of like, I, I think it's really powerful, this idea of like what expectations we've put on the Christ and how Jesus is going to stay true to what it actually means to be the Christ, no matter what, um, even through death. And so I, yeah, that that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also like curious being that we've touched on this word being like a word that's been used for a plurality of people, potentially even multiple people at the same time. Um, whether it's the King and the high priest, both having the sense of being anointed ones at the same moment. Um, how do we hold Jesus as both God incarnate uniquely, the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, all of those things. And, and this is the heretical, dangerous, kicking at the tires of heresy moment, right? Jesus like, kicking at the tires. <laughs> and what does it mean when we're talking about a Christ that we've seen this language in the past? We see John talking about the everlasting nature of this, and yet Jesus was born and then died and then, you know, is not on the planet at the moment. And so what does it mean for this name or this embodiment to be 
present. Um, I mean, we're like the church is literally called to be the body of Christ where the Holy spirit resides. Uh, we're not called to be the body of Jesus. We're called to be the body of Christ. And that's potentially a significant difference. What is that? Um, what, do you, what do you think is the difference in that? <clears throat> oh man, that is a huge question. Um, <laughs> Jason's getting nervous. <laughs> yeah. I get a little nervous because if I say this wrongly, then it potentially puts me outside of like the whole operation that I'm a part of. And so I want to be really careful. <laughs> um, so I think Jesus was a human that was born and that died on the cross and was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. I, I think this, I, I believe the scriptures when they say that. Um, and I think that Jesus was also simultaneously both human and fully God. I, I, I don't have a problem with holding those two natures together in one person. And I think that the Christ is the essence that was in Jesus that is also in the beginning, as John talks about, with the formation of all things, all the goodness that we see in creation is emanating from Christ and from the divine. And I think that the Holy Spirit is what's active in the world and active in us um, to be to be the to be Christ to the world and to to be that good news that that good gift that's poured out and broken apart in in line with how Jesus did it, not in line with how people expected him to do it in the first century. And so, because of that, I see Jesus as trinitarian and part of the divine you know, Trinitarian God, because Jesus points us to what we should all be. And I think Jesus is inviting us into that when in John 17, it's, it's the prayer of, you know, may they, meaning humanity or the disciples or all those who follow, may they be in us as I am in you. I think Jesus, I mean, the miraculous nature of the Trinity is that it, we're invited into it, not that it's out there separate from us, but that we're invited to participate in the Trinity. And I think that's where Christianity tends to fall apart because we've kept God at a distance. We've kept God in heaven and we put the devil in hell and we put humanity on earth. And how tragic is that? Because now we get caught between these and we've kept God at arm's length because God can help us. And when we're in hard times and if God doesn't, then it must be part of God's divine plan as opposed to like we're invited into this to operate in it and to be to be a part of it. Um, sorry, I'm I'm like. There's like pastor theologian Stephen Hagen coming out. Like, so thinking a lot of things, you know, like the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Like Paul writes that. I mean, that, 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 that's not an accident. Like it's not, it's not by accident that we're invited into this. We're supposed to be caught up into it. We're supposed to have that same unique power. And, and it's, it's not meant to be used for political or religious power, but it's meant to be used for transformational justice and love and mercy. Well, maybe this, um, I think this connects in is that like the idea of Messiah, any, any idea in Hebrew always goes back to a verb. So there's always an action that's at the center of an idea. And so the action at the center of this one of Messiah and then, and Christos and Greek, um, would be that action of anointing which is a very physical embodied 
thing. It's like, it's holding this very big concept and this very simple physical act together. Um, and that, that feels maybe connected to what you're saying that it's like, it's both bigger than us and involves us at the same time. Um, like it's about Jesus being the Christ, but all of us having the power to live as anointed ones in that trajectory. And there's a way that there's a way that seeing that trajectory of multiple Christs, multiple anointed ones could make us nervous. And there's a way that maybe it expands out to help us see ourselves as a part of it. Um, and to say that there's something that happened that we have access to as there is this movement. I mean, even being called the body of Christ, that one makes sense. And we're, when we're thinking about the movement away from a temple. So if part of what it is to be anointed is to um, be a priest, when we are post 80, 70, there is no temple anymore. And that's also then a part of what's being ushered in with Christianity is this worship without a temple. And if we are then being called the new temple, it makes sense that Christ is the language there, because then if that is about being anointed, which is about being priests and all of us being priests, there's a there's a whole theological thread to using anointing language there. Um, and yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't know if that I don't know if that adds anything to all the things you were saying. No, it really does because also what 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 it, what it leads me to is to say, okay, we've 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 held this language of Christ Jesus inside of a religion as opposed to the relational action oriented way of being human that it was I think meant to be because if it's about relationship because the the term Christian is meant is not meant to be like a like an adjective for a type of people that vote a certain way or that go to a certain place on a Sunday morning. It, it was meant to exemplify people who behave as Christ. They are Christ-like. They are, they're living in this trajectory, right? And, and, and like that, and that's why like this, this idea of like name is so important because, you know, we're not supposed to take God's name in vain. Well, that's not meant to say we don't swear or don't use God's name as a cuss word. It's meant to be like, Hey, you're a part of this family. Like, represent it well because when people you know know that you're a part of this family they're gonna make a judgment about who we are and so i you know like if we're gonna carry around the label christian and yet not act christ-like um we're not just misrepresenting a religion we're misrepresenting a relationship and that impacts how others view i mean I mean, if we're honest, not many people in the world have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with people that say they believe in Jesus. And that's the bigger issue. And there's a lot of things that religion has done in the name of Jesus that are really pathetic. But that's about what people have done, not about what Jesus did. Lisa, do you have anything you want to say about this theological? I think what I will say about it. Is it? This is for me some of the spots that um, make it hard for. Like, there's suddenly like this. I think, as someone who sat in pews for a really long time, there's like these are the conversations that I would have gone like, "This is. I'll leave that to the pastors. <laughs> I'm out." Um. 
And you can even feel it when we talk about like, Ooh, that's going to put me outside of the, the lot. Like there's, and so like, I, um, like partly I'm like, let's just kick it. Let's pop the tire. Like I, can I ask what part of it you would pop? I don't or is know. That, I, is that too I, sensitive? I don't know. Wanna... I don't even know that I, I think for me, the question is, is like, why is it so off limits to wonder? Like, it feels like it's so off limits mm-hmm. to even say the things that like, um, like you can't just, you can't even say it. Like we can't say some of the, the things that when you get down to it, you're like, Ooh, how, how, wait, how does that impact? Or like, why, what makes that so critical? And it becomes this, like, I, I think there's been a few times in my life where like, I've asked a question and then people are like, well, then you're outside of Christianity. And I'm like, that freaking sucks that like, it's that simple of a question because I still feel like, I still feel like I really like Jesus. I really think Jesus did something. I I do think Jesus was human and God. Like, I think all of those things are true. Like I, all those things resonate for me. What I sometimes am like, my questions are kind of around the like, well, what does it mean? And I think because the Bible isn't clear. And we're using funky words. And like, this is like Luke writing a story about the angel of the Lord and angels telling this to shepherds. <laughs> like, there's a lot we should be wondering about. That shit's not normal. Like, that stuff doesn't happen. Like, that's, those are, you know, and I, I mean, I was just like, cause there's a part of me that's like, I love all the, I love all the different ways we can like talk about Jesus. And so even just this look at four different names that Jesus either is or is to be called or is to be named makes me go, Oh yeah. Like there's so many ways to enter into this. Like, what if I just want to, what if I do just want to hang on Emmanuel? Like what I need to know is like God with us. And that's part of the work that Jesus does. Or um, I think like some of the ways that I think one of the things that I feel like is critical in like womanist theology is that we're pulling forth like the liberating act of Jesus. And what's, what we don't see is like liberation isn't part of necessarily Jesus's name in the passages that we've looked at. Like there's a way that a Messiah could be a liberator, but also what we know is that anointed people have sometimes not been liberators. They've actually been people who oppress other people. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's like these interesting nuances and dances. And so I think I just want to name that for anybody who's like, Oh my gosh, I can't even have this conversation. Don't feel like you can't. And it's okay. Like if you, I'd love to have the conversation with you. I'm okay with it. Let's kick it. And then we'll go outside and come back in. Cause it's not like a gate that you can't. (laughs) It's like an imaginary line that you cross. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know you cross and you can wrestle with how you want to come back in or not come back in. Um, I just think like, that's, I just kind of want to name that. Cause I could feel it in my body where I was like, Oh, I hate knowing that there's just all these places where you're like, Oh, you're outside. Mm-hmm. Well, and it gets into, cause all the language is big. It gets complicated and it does bring this question. Like, what does this matter for how I live my life, for how I see myself, for how I see God, for how I see the world? Like, cause there's ways it can get so theological that it doesn't feel rooted in lived experience. And so it's a good challenge to say whatever those theological big words are that can feel inaccessible, if we can't root them in our experience, if we can't keep asking more questions, like what good are they? 
um, which like Jesus says, like, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Like what's the fruit of this conversation is a good thing to sort of ask. Is this leading someplace good? Do we feel like we have the space to ask all sorts of questions? And it does feel related to where I wanted to take it, which is this another aspect of thinking about the shepherds that, um, that became something I became aware of five years ago when I was in Bethlehem. So um, Bethlehem is in Palestine. um, And which is also, I feel like at this time in history, important to name how many Palestinian Christians there are. Um, Because sometimes people are thinking about things. Anyway, that doesn't always enter into part of the conversation. There are a lot of Palestinian Christians. So we were in this area of, of, Palestine of Bethlehem, where we were up on the hills that were like where shepherds might have been. And what struck me at that moment is, is the geographical location where this is taking place and whether that is a part of these shepherds being the ones to get this message. Because if it's nearby shepherds to Bethlehem that are up on this hill, what it means is they are positioned in between Jerusalem and the Herodium. In a, in a way where you could probably kind of see both from the hills where you were watching your shepherds. And as Lisa named earlier about this question of how will this anointed one use his power, that there's two versions of anointed ones that those shepherds would be looking at from their hills every day. They would be looking towards Jerusalem, towards the anointed priests who have been using their power at that time in history to... Um, tax people and oppress people for the sake of building a bigger temple. And there's been this means to an end theology that has harmed a lot of people from the first century priests. That is that what Jesus then calls out when he talks to them of like, you have, you've, you've aligned yourself with power in a way that has harmed the people you're supposed to be serving. So that's one version of power they're looking at, like to their, like picture, picture ourselves as standards so as a shepherd on that hill to their left, they see that version of being anointed to their right. They see the Herodium. The Herodium is Herod is the king at that time. Somebody probably anointed him to be a king Um, because he is a king that is both the king of, he has been approved by the Roman government, but he also claims to be Jewish and claims to be a rightful king. So he's potentially anointed himself or had someone anoint him as king and that version of being an anointed one. And the way he is using his power is to literally build a mountain in his own honor. Um, if someone's listening and has not heard of the Herodium, it is worth looking up in a Google search. They've excavated some of it, but it was being built at the time Jesus was being born. Um, and it really is this mountain where it's a it's a mountain in his own hour, honor where he's going to be able to be buried someday that has a palace, that has military might, that has all sorts of resources going towards himself. And I wonder about being the shepherds on this hill saying, well, we've seen anointed ones. This is what those anointed ones do. But now there's a baby who's being called the anointed one, Christos, and then Kyrios, master, Lord. Um, There's a power in this baby in a manger that's sort of hinting that it's all going to be a little different kind of power. And I wonder how that location even makes them open to receive the message of whether this group of people is longing for something different than what they see every day as they're up on those hills. 
I like that you said it was hinting. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't a hint. Like, <laughs> this is like, this is like putting it in neon letters. I mean, they're literally angels in like coming like into view. You know, like there's no there's no hint here. You know, it's it's not like it's um uh, you know the the other hospital in town that he was born in and like the one that doesn't quite have as nice of equipment. You know, it's it's a stable. It's a manger. You know, like. It's a trough where animals ate. You know, they didn't sterilize this thing ahead of time. Like, this is gross. You know, it's like the worst place to be born. You know, like, I mean, everything about it is the opposite of what you would expect if this is this supposed to be the seat of power, you know? So, I mean, it's a good hint, uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I love that visual of sitting on that mountain or that hillside and being able to see both. And hear the name that's potentially represented in both. And then to hear, but it's not neither of those places. It's down in this stable. <laughs> like, that's actually really, really cool. Um, and really humbling. And again, I think this idea of like in a manger being both humble and ordinary. Like there's a there's also a way I think we're prone to over complicating Jesus's birth. We like, we want him to be so lowly. I just keep pushing on all of the nativity things today. I'm feeling spunky about how people hold the nativity story because it would actually not be that uncommon to place a baby in a manger. So the idea of like, Jesus wasn't born in a, there's no evidence that Jesus was born in a cave or a stable. The idea of there not being room in the inn, that word for inn is more likely used for the upper room of a house. So it's a time of a census. Lots of people have traveled. Upper room of a house is usually where you would host guests. But if everybody's traveled for a census, there's they've run out of room for the guests, which means that um, Mary and Joseph have to stay on the ground floor of the house. And the reason guests stay above is the ground floor of the house is also where they kept their sheep and their animals. They didn't have a separate building for it. The sheep and the animals were on the ground floor. The people were on the upper room. Um, and so they had to sleep down where the sheep and the animals were, but probably in the same house as their relatives. And probably that's what any, if any time a festival is happening and people run out of room, someone would have to stay in the lower level of the house because they ran out of room on the upper level of the house. Like it's both lowly and lowly in an ordinary way. And I, I don't know, I'm just feeling fiery about that today. <laughs> feel free to kick back if that's like, but it's a tire I want to kick at. Cause I think we try to make the story so special that we stop seeing ourselves in it. Um, and there's something about saying like, Jesus is being born the way that other babies had been born to poor families for a long time. And so the highlight isn't that it's completely unique. The highlight is that it's like other people who don't have a lot of means. And he's entering into that lived experience that other babies have had of being placed in the manger in the lower room of the house because the upper room was taken by somebody who got there first. I actually think that's really beautiful. And I think it's helpful to place it in the, the level of ordinary, but but actually what you said was that it is ordinary, but you said it's ordinary for a family, like a poor family having a baby in the first century, but that's not maybe ordinary. Maybe that is like, like poor. Right. And, and like, that is different. That is, di I mean, if you're nine months pregnant 
and about to have a baby and the guests upstairs aren't willing to say, you know, why don't you take the nice spot as opposed to next to the animals? I mean, that's still like, to me, like you give up your bed to the pregnant woman. Like, I mean, I, I mean, maybe culturally it's different. Like, I don't know why it would be like that, that to me just, it still seems like no one, no one thought that they should have a little bit more comfortable spot to be in. And I think the the point is, is like whether that's ordinary for a poor person or whether it's uniquely discriminatory, like because she was an unwed, you know, teenager who got pregnant. Like, I don't know what it was, but it was definitely not people making, you know, common hospitality for them. Um, And and I, I think we've sterilized the nativity scene and tried to make a barn or a cave or a whatever into this like beautiful romantic place when even if it is just the first floor of a typical house in Bethlehem there was a nicer spot not far away that people could have said do this here mm-hmm. and that's that that to me is like the the big takeaway or the the point Maybe it's a part of how we see the liberating thread that Lisa was bringing us to is there's this both both and in the in the birth narratives of like being given these big titles and big words or big descriptors of who Jesus is and this is Christ the Lord but there's also a bunch of just entering into the human experience of an oppressed people group during the first century and, and the witness of being born into that um, feels like it holds not liberation in and of itself, but like um, proximity, you know, that like proximity becomes a, f- a first part of a liberating journey that like that God is entering in, in this messy embodied present way, mm-hmm. even as still holding that title or that big word of Christ the Lord, but also like born in the way that babies are born, poor in the way that people are poor, struggling in the way that people are struggling, like that that maybe is an important part of it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you ask us to like, where can we identify with the story? And I think you're right that it is hard to identify with like Mary and Joseph having angels visit them. And, um, but I wonder if it's easy to identify with the people living in the house at the time when they show up at the door, if it's easy to identify with the people in Jerusalem that have pull, you know, religious power and are deciding what's anointed and what's not, or what's appropriate, what's not, what, what's sacrificial and what's not. It's easy to, to identify with, people in the Herodium who have political power and get to decide the laws and the taxation policy for others and, and where their dollars are going to be used and not used and how much, you know, how big of an army we actually need. And I think it's actually, that's where I start to identify. And because of that, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's why the angels didn't show up because, um, uh, I wouldn't have needed a savior. Lisa, you've been quiet. Is this taking anything to a more tangible level that you relate to more? 
know. I just, it's really, it's really random what my brain is doing right now. Like partly I'm like, well, it doesn't say there wasn't room for Jesus anywhere. I just said at, at, there was an in, there was an upper room there where there wasn't room. Um, and I was thinking about, okay, if I, if I, let's say it's, you know, it's Christmas here and all my family is over and people are staying overnight. Like they're, they're here. And some random comes up to my door <laughs> and wants to have their baby, which I granted, I mean, we're taught, we are, we are light years away from what the thing's happening, but I'm like, I think my brain might think, well, are you sure there's not anywhere else you could go? Like we could probably make it work, but like who's, who's moving and who's doing what? And so then I was like, it's not that on you. I mean, there isn't room. We could probably make room. And I, I can hear the conversation. Maybe this is very Midwest passive aggressive weird shit. Cause like maybe like Joseph's like, okay, well, it's, we'll, we'll go down the road. We'll see what else we can find. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't put yourself out. And then they get there and people are like, Hey, we, you guys can take the upper room. We'll move everything downstairs. And they were like, Oh no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We just need a place. It's fine. The, the stable manger is great. Cause I also can see that happen. Like there's this interesting, like, I'm like, well, there's probably lots of things that could probably be happening in all these different ways that everybody's engaging. Cause like, I both want to be sensitive to the fact that I know the hospitality of this. I know that like the generational hospitality is important. And I, I really can't imagine them saying like, no, you can't be here. And like every house being like too fall, too fall, too fall. <laughs> like I can't actually even imagine that ever being the case so i'm like trying to right side all of that and then i'm also holding this um i thought about this earlier this week because i was looking at the the painting that has like mary and eve and like they're stepping on the snake which i, I don't know i like i've looked at it it's fine i don't really have a lot of feels about that one i think it's kind of weird but whatever but i was what i was thinking about because we were kind of joking in the house about <laughs> like why men and women are punished differently out of Genesis. But I was thinking about like, well, isn't that crazy though, that this idea that women are being punished through childbirth through the end of time, that that's how Jesus comes in. And it's not like this particular thing that we root all of the sinful nature of women that moment. Oh, actually, though, no, that's actually the gateway. That thing that's supposed to be so cursed is actually the thing that's going to bring it forth. So I, I'm kind of wrestling with that a little bit. Like, I don't quite know how to like word what I'm thinking with it. Um, but there's something, there's something in that whole, cause like, it's not Joseph. Like there's not like, in that, in this moment, this is about Mary giving birth to Jesus, Allah, the Holy Spirit. And so I just think too, I wonder maybe too, if that part of this, all of this, like if that's, there's something liberating happening for women as well. Like there's this interesting thing. If I try to look for all the different ways, um, like social and cultural and gender and all like all the different ways that this can be liberating 
there feels like there could be a pathway forward even for that kind of a liberation in it. Um, if I'm, if I can pause and see it, like there's liberating things for a group of shepherds to be the ones to witness this and to give like an, an ordinary job that it's really not, it's not upper class. Like it's, this is not your 3M execs. This is your person who works at the gas station, like just doing work. Like it's not awful. Like you're not a horrible human. You're just normal person. And that's the person that gets to bear witness to it. And that feels like liberating for, for when you're just doing the thing. Like God shows up in that. So I don't know. Like I'm just trying to see uh, different ways of thinking about the whole darn thing. Cause maybe that's why it just stays such a sweet story and it stays with kids. Cause it's a little bit easier to just hold on to the sweet nature of the story. Cause otherwise you got to wrestle with some really big questions, <laughs> big and like self-reflection of it's, it's nice when we just say, well, this, I don't know, baby Jesus is a damn delight. I would have liked to snuggle him a little bit, but you and Ricky Bobby. Just <laughs> <laughs> straining myself it. from going there, Jason. Couldn't help it. Well, I was I was just gonna add a really quick like when when we're talking about the anointed one and we're looking at we're sitting on this hillside and we're seeing Jerusalem on one side and the Herodim on the other and we're talking about this little baby and it's this maybe you know semi ordinary birth to with a poor family with these shepherds that are doing ordinary things like so often i think the the call within society is to be great and that the only way that you make a difference is to be great and i wonder if like part of the christ message part of this naming of the anointed one in this such an ordinary moment at some level is to say that being ordinary can be Christ-like and that you don't have to be someone in a political office or in a religious institution in order to be Christ. You, you can be the gas station attendant. You can be the prisoner, however we want to hold how these shepherds are in society. You, you can be a poor mother and like you're showing up mm. and doing this seemingly normal thing that women have been doing for all of humanity is Christ in that moment. Like, like what if the most ordinary things are the most Christ-like things, but we've often just seen them as throwaways because it's not moving humanity forward. I'm going to, I'm going to back that up with the text a little bit. <laughs> Um, Great. I always love being right ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so just playing with, so what the angel says that we haven't talked about, and and I don't know that we have time to talk about it, but I'll just, is that today in the, in the city of David, a savior has been born. So this word savior is so, so ter, so ter, um, which is actually like a word that of power, it's like put on a lot of the epithets of Greek gods that they were the deliverers. <laughs> um, but so the deliverer has been born. 
And, but then the next word is the word os. Um, and so os can be who. So who is Christ the Lord? But os can also be which, what, or that. So what I'm wanting to play with from what you said is to say, what if it's which is Christ the Lord? Meaning the fact that this thing is happening, the situation is Christ the Lord. The birthing is Christ the Lord. The like, is there a, is there something that expands out if we allow that word to mean who? Who is Christ the Lord? The baby is Christ the Lord, but also which is Christ the Lord? The fact that a savior has been born, that's Christ the Lord. The fact that there's been a birth, that's Christ the Lord. Like, is there something in that word that that makes it bigger than the baby while still being about the baby? And how does that carry forward to us of all the things where we can display that identity of being now part of the body of Christ? We are anointed. Um, The situation where a savior was born and placed in a manger. This is Christ the Lord. I feel like that's the perfect tire to kick. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I mean that in all seriousness, like, cause what you just did is took away the singularity of Jesus being the single Christ. And yet the Bible does that all over the place. And it's doesn't take away from Jesus. It, It like mushrooms it out to say we're included in this. Like simple things, shepherding, birthing babies, you know, like how we hold power, like all of these things can be Christ. And to me, it's like the most potentially heretical thing and also probably the most beautiful thing imaginable at the same time. So maybe maybe we close this episode with a blessing of may we all be Christmas heretics. <laughs> Kicking at the tires of Advent, wondering whether we're Christ too. It feels, it feels really big. I think I just, it just <laughs> that feels like a lot. I just kind of feel like, I just like the idea of expanding, expands who God is. Like, it's not so much that, we're, like, because there's a way of, like, it feels like we're layering and heavying Christ, Jesus. And actually, it's uh, like this other thing of, like, well, what if it's just expanding how God is acting in the world and Jesus as liberating force is the way God's doing it right now? Also can be, I don't know if that's probably heresy, too, but whatever. <laughs> I, like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore because it's just fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. <laughs> Kick away. <laughs> Let it be so. <laughs> this has been a 40 Orchards podcast. At 40 Orchards, our mission is to create circles for all people to wrestle through biblical text so that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. 
We search through the lens of sacred possibility, assuming there is more to be discovered, questioned, and applied as we listen for how God is still speaking. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40, that's 40orchards.org. Our opening music is by Less FM. Our closing music is by NCR Music Vibes. Additional music is by 3Music. Any references to books or other sources can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for searching the sacred.